This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Hello, everybody. This is episode 703. I love doing these. You know I love this, right, guys? It's unbelievably fun. Tomorrow morning, episode 704, we talk to Eric Dolan. And I, he breaks down a son saving his mom. That's really what's happening. He is a son, he is saving his mom with a health tech product that recognizes seizures. And it's big, big financially. Tune in to find out, especially if you're interested in the health tech space. Good morning, guys. My guest this morning is Paul Tima. He's the founder and creator of a tool called Mailinator. It's an email system. He's also the startup veteran, a startup veteran, is focused on four Silicon Valley startups, including Preemptive Solutions, ManyBrain Inc., which owns Mailinator, HomeAccount.com, which was later acquired by Bills.com. You guys might remember we had the Bills.com CEO on about a week and a half ago, and Refresh Inc., which was acquired by LinkedIn. He's a frequent speaker and writer and is author of one of the original books on Java called Java Primer Plus. Dr. Tima received his PhD in computer engineering from Syracuse University, focused on Java and .NET performance. Paul, are you ready to take us to the top? I sure am. That is a bio, man. Congratulations. Yeah, so thanks. Tell, tell us first, so you obviously studied computer engineering at Syracuse. Right out of that, did you go right into one of these startups or did you work for somebody else? No, actually, I started my first company during my PhD and actually incubated it at Syracuse. It, it eventually moved back to Cleveland, where I was from. Uh, right out of PhD, I ended up working for Google. Got uh, it. And that was just a happenstance that I happened to move out to Silicon Valley and talk to Google, and there I was. And so which one of these companies was your first kind of big win? Preemptive Solution, HomeAccount.com, or Refresh Inc.? I think they've all been interesting in their own way. Preemptive is actually still a going concern. I'm still on the board of the company. It's about 30 employees. Um Refresh was was a little bit more of a sort of, um, I'd say, advertised or very visible uh, exit because LinkedIn purchased them. You can now see the Refresh technology in what LinkedIn calls its icebreakers uh, in their application, their, their mobile app right now. I'm not sure if it's on, on their web or not. What year was that ac Refresh acquisition? That acquisition was one year ago. Okay, got oh, it. All right, no, two years ago. I'm sorry, two years ago, and I left LinkedIn a year ago. Okay, and what was the uh, what was the acquisition price on that? Uh, well, obviously it was confidential, but uh, I think everybody was pretty happy. What was the business model of Refresh? Was it a SaaS business? That was, or you... no, that, that was absolutely no. That was absolutely a consumer application that had. It was you know it, it fascinated me to pitch investors who didn't ask how you're going to make money, and we never <laughs> at any point had a anybody asked us, and nobody cared. And the goal was to absolutely get users and build technology, and we raised enough money to do that. How much? We raised ten million total. Okay, and was that? I assume you got into a series that price round. That wasn't all note, right? No, we started. Our first round was was uh, two two on four pre, which was a price round. We started priced, and then the second round was priced also. So just so everyone understands, uh, again, Paul started out doing a equity round. In other words, he didn't do a kiss or a safe or one of these YC notes that you're you're hearing about. He got you know he raised two million dollars, and his valuation was four million dollars pre money, uh, six million dollars post money. So he sold what about a thirty year company, Paul? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Got it. And were you the sole founder of Refresh, or do you have partners? No, I, I had another founder, Bob and Shaw. Okay. And then what did you grow that to in terms of number of users where it be, suddenly became so interesting to LinkedIn? 
Um, you know, it was only a couple hundred thousand users at the end of the day. It was the first startup I've ever had, though. And, you know, you could think of it sort of as people search on steroids. It basically found everything about you from GitHub, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, Foursquare, YouTube. We hit all these networks. And it was the first startup I never had to explain to anybody. I simply showed them their dossier and their jaw would usually drop open. Were you paying for access to the data pipelines of companies like ReturnPath and Consumer Insights Product or Clearbit or Full Contact or Discover Org? Or was it, were you just scraping the web front structure data? None of the above. Clearbit didn't even exist. We tried Full Contact. Honestly, we didn't like the data and we built our own identity engine from scratch. And then what was the technology? What was it built on? Was it, again, just, just scraping unstructured data online? Um, you know, I would, I'd, I'd be a little more careful to say it was sort of semi-structured, you know, to be fair, um, but it was a heck of a lot of work and yeah, it was, it was real time. So you walked in a coffee shop, typed in someone's name. We looked it all up in real time and provided the results. That's amazing. So was refresh your, you know, get me inside of your quote money brain, right? Was refresh your first big win or was the bills exit, uh, enough to like basically have you set free for life? <laughs> you know, there's the exits that are the. The car, the house, and the plane, and uh, I don't think I've had the plane yet. So, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm still, I'm still working. You know, okay. there's no question about it. Now, everybody got though on the refresh. You raised ten million bucks. Everyone made money on that, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, you would know because you would have been one of the ones making money. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. So that went well. And then we're working backwards. So refresh was your most recent exit. What was the bills.com exit right before that? No, it was a good five years before, four years before. Okay, but in terms of your company prior to Refresh, it, you were building homeaccount.com, correct? That's correct. Okay, so you built that for uh, for uh, how many years before you sold that to Bills? Um, I was there for the first year of the company and left. The company went on for another two years or so. Oh, so HomeAccount wasn't your company? I was, a, I was a minor founder. What's a minor founder mean? Well, if I didn't get 50% of the company, I got, oh, got the, it. You know, more than the option, something out of the option pool and less than, uh, you know, 50%. Yep. And for those that folks that don't understand or they never heard the term option pool before, describe to everyone what that is. Uh, when you take investment, you, you do the calculation of how much equity you just gave up. And then the venture capitalists say, oh, no, by the way, you need to give up 10% more or 15% more that you're going to put aside for future employees. And typically, when you hire, you know, uh, first employees, uh, you know, all depending on, on their, their skill set, what they're bringing to the table. But it's typically um, in the early days, one to five, one to two to three, four or five percent of the company. And in the later days, 0. 0.25, 0.5, you know, that sort of thing. And those of you listening right now that are thinking about raising, you want to watch out for that conversation because many of these uh, venture VCs or just investors will ask for you to set that up before they invest. So it doesn't dilute their share that they're buying into. Uh, was that oh, your experience, Paul? I, I don't know if any would do it any other way. Yeah. They absolutely are not going to get diluted by the option pool that I've ever experienced. And, yeah. and you know, 100% watch out for that but it's also pretty standard. You yeah. know, you expect it. Yeah. Okay, let's fast forward to where we are today. So these companies are going well. You're doing well. You you sell to LinkedIn. You stay there for a while. Why'd you leave the company? You just get bored? Um, you know, I think it's almost a Silicon Valley cliche to say you sell your startup to a large company and you stay precisely one year and you go. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure I ever never understood that. But, you know, keep in mind, when you come in through an acquisition, nobody hired you. Nobody championed you to, for this role and, and that sort of thing. So it is, and you come in as part of a big group of people. So it's, it's a very different, um, you know, situation. There's nothing wrong with the situation, that sort of thing. But, you know, 
Um, I'm always looking for a bigger and better opportunity. And it was, I was, that was fine there, but it was time to go. Did you have a one year earnout as part of the deal? Yeah, sure. Okay, got it. So part of the part of the exit deal was an earnout. That's really what kept you even a year. That's why you didn't leave immediately. Yeah, well, I, would, I don't know if I would have met left immediately anyway. I don't remember my mind, you know, my thought process back then. But yes, definitely, earnout was a factor in the in the decision. Okay, so take us through today. What is Mailinator, and how do you support yourself? How does it make money? So Mailinator was a side project I built 13 years ago for to scratch my own itch, which is basically a free disposable email service. It is a receive-only email service. It can't send. It can only receive. That being said, you know, I, I have trouble explaining to people there's no such thing as accounts. There's only inboxes. Every inbox is public. Anyone can change, can check any inbox and read any email. Every single inbox you can think of already exists. So the real trick to it is I at one point went to a website, maybe it was New York Times. They wanted my email address in order for me to read an email. And I didn't want to give them my email address because I felt that it would be put on a spam list. So with Mailinator, you would just put in something, pick it out of the pick it out of the air, Nathan123 at mailinator.com. New York Times then emails that email address, the account or the inbox is created on the fly. You then go to Mailinator website second, read the email, click the link, read your article. Never use that email again if you don't want to. New York Times puts that in their spam list, spams it forever. Um, and it's just a, like it says, disposable email. As far as I know, it was the first one that sort of did that. A lot of copycats came out later. I was say, this is a, it's a very interesting concept, and I could totally understand why you'd have trouble issues describing this because it's so not norm, not the normal way people think about email inboxes. Um, That's right. The, the fallacy we discovered early on was people associated email with identity. They still do. Yep. And it's such not a truth. And, uh, you know, so at Mailinator, you've got a couple trillion inboxes at your disposal. Yep. And they're created on the fly. You can type in anything. It's like picking a domain name almost. Yeah. Anything, anything you want. As soon as the email arrives, the inbox will be populated. But you can check anything to your heart's content right now. Go check Joe or Fred or Bob123. They're all, they're all there. And talk money to me. How do you generate revenue? Well, you know, like I said, for a long time, this was this was a side project for the last 13 years. So I've been at Google, I've been at LinkedIn, I've been at four startups in the meantime. So just, just to emphasize that. Um, and in the early days, of course, it was like, let's try some ads, which actually, I can't complain, the ads paid for the servers and more. Where, would you, where would you put the ads? Um, on the sidebar or something, never never terribly obtrusive. But in the sidebar when somebody goes to read the New York Times article that they were spammed with? No, they go to read the the New York the email that they want to get from the New York Times. Got it. You know, it's a webmail site, right? At the yeah. end of the day, so the ad would be on the side. And you know, let's not pretend the ad made a ton of money, but they certainly paid for the servers and and that sort of thing. Um, so then, the, the, from there, uh, you know, and I have to say, it was always a side project. It was always something I wanted to work on. And what occurred to me was there was a lot of traffic going through that um, that was affiliatizable. But the problem is you get a lot, you know, if you have, if you have a running blog, you go ahead and you write an article about some shoes and you put an affiliate link and that makes sense. And you, you hopefully get some revenue from that. If you hold something like say a forums or a disposable email site, you don't control the links that are put on your site. So it's hard to affiliatize them. And actually what Mailinator has always done is sort of give me this test bed to create new technologies. Um, and I built actually another site called ClickRouter that looks through like five or six different affiliate networks finds a place to send a click and then affiliatizes it. So now Mailinator makes a couple thousand dollars. Uh, it depends uh, a month just on affiliate revenue. Um, so again, this is not this is not like a business, but boy, it's a great side project. Yep. Um, take the evolution farther, and what we started to see was uh, Mailinator's brand became incredibly strong. 
everybody knew about Mailinator, you know, that it was this place to just test, send test emails. And what we started to see was a high usage from uh, QA departments who wanted to test their signup process, who wanted to test their welcome email, right? And the fact that they could create thousands of inboxes immediately was extremely appealing, right? They could just test like crazy. So they started sending us emails asking for features. Um, and this is where I had started having conversations with some of the people I worked on, uh, Jack specifically, early on in uh, our, the history of Mailinator of, of what, where we should go with this. And we decided to add some features specifically for QA testers, which that's what spawned the SaaS business. So QA teams, um, you know, I could arguably say around the world, um, and, and it's a very new business. It's a, it's the new. Hold on, you, you can't say around the world without giving me a number. I mean, are we talking hundreds of QA departments paying you, or thousands, yeah, or what? Hundreds, hundreds of QA teams okay. now are using this service. Okay, paying um, you. Yeah, paying us. Okay. That's right. And this. This gives us, you know, what functionality can we add there? It gives us an API to pull the emails. And now you can, you know, have email delivery as part of your integration tests in your build process. And many companies do that. Um, there's just, you know, all these different um, use cases that QA tests. Or sometimes they just want to have 10 inboxes to test right off the bat. And there they go. So we give them an upgraded UI. We give them a private domain. So they, you know, they, every email in Mailinator by default is public. But if you pay, you can get a, a private domain and then you can check an inbox you get you if you pointed say nathan.com at mailinator um you can basically query every inbox that starts with the letter j and have one ui that shows you every inbox with the letter j that so, starts with letter so paul, j what do these guys pay you on average per month what's your arpu um the well the pricing on the on the current model although we're always working on this sort of stuff and a lot of stuff's coming down the pike is twenty nine dollars uh, for a single user and uh, one hundred and twenty nine for a team. Yeah, we and don't we don't have time though to go into like all the different cohorts and stuff. If you just take an average, so like is the average customer paying you what thirty five bucks a month or? Yeah, I'd say the yeah, that's probably about right. Right, I guess I mean, that right thirty five. I think that is right. About 15% enterprise or 15% team and, and the rest is a uh, single person. Okay. And, and you said you've got, you still have the ad revenue coming in, which you said, what is three grand, four grand per month? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. But it fluctuates. Sure. <laughs> okay. And, and you said and you had 300 QA, how many, how many QA customers do you have? Yeah. About 300 QA teams. Okay. I'm guessing like right on the money today. This is good. It must've yeah. been that juice shake I had at, for yeah. lunch. All right. So if, I mean, I can do the math, right? $35 average ARPU per month times 300 from there. You're making what about 10, 11 grand per month from this ass model. That sounds, yeah, that's about right. Yep. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is like, this was absolutely a case of me doing nothing in all seriousness and the free product gaining its own brand, gaining a great representation and creating the pay product all on its own. Yep. And it, it was really interesting to watch. And now, you know, we're adding this engine behind it of actually doing marketing, of actually um, continuing to build out features and actually turn it into a business now that we have, um, you know, it remains a side project to me as it always has. I, I still love to code whenever I can. And, and this gives me a place to do that. And we have other folks working on the marketing and the positioning and the product. Yep. Okay. That makes good sense. Walk us through like some of the other metrics here. Now you've kind of let this go organically. So I'm curious to see what these look like, but churn, right? Churn is always tough in a SaaS business. How many customers have started paying you and stopped? Um, yeah, churn is, is pretty high. Um, I don't, I don't know if the exact number, but I'd say, uh, probably 20%, 10 to 20% every couple months. So we sort of churn over pretty hard. Um, I don't exactly, I definitely don't have the exact numbers to on call that. It at the, on the high end, maybe 10% of your customer base is churning every month. That's yeah. worst case. 
Yeah, something like that. Okay, and this is all organic, right? You're not spending any money to get new customers. They're all just finding you? Very little right now. We've experimented with ads here and there. Um, you know, keep in mind the free site gets about 45,000 uniques a day. Um, interestingly, it gets about 9 million emails a day, um, which we've seen up to several hundred million emails a day. So clearly we have a lot of users using the site and it's a classic model of turning them into, you know, paid users. How many free users do you have? You must have a significant number to get that volume of emails coming at you. Well, I said 45,000 uniques a day. But, 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 but those are just website impressions, right? I imagine you have some kind of sign up process. How many people are using you for free or how many inbox have you, how many inboxes have been created with you? Well, like I said, first of all, there isn't a sign-up process. You can check any email in any box without signing up completely anonymously. Okay, let me re-ask my question. How many yeah. email inboxes have been set up with you? I know you, you can set them up on the fly, but how many have actually been set up? Well, 25,000 or so new ones are set up every day. Got it. I mean, that's impressive, right? So about, keep... fi so about 50% of your website impressions convert into someone creating a new public inbox. But that's the whole point they came here for. This is not a DAU product. People, I don't. I don't use the site. Guys, every DAU day. stands for daily active users, right? Yeah. Right. I use this product every week or every other week. I need to sign up for something. That's when I use it. That's when I come to the mail. It's a very high intent usage. I'm coming to read a specific email. Yep. Because I know I sent it there. Yep. What did uh, Bootstrap so far? Have you raised capital for it or no? No. We. Keep, I keep getting asked by venture capital, but this is a wrong type of business to raise at this level. And Why I do need you say to make that, sure I see this. What's that? Why do you say that? Um, well, until this QA business came up with, again, which is semi-recent, I didn't see the model to take this all, you know, to a significant height. I, I, you know, I've been in Silicon Valley long enough that I really want to be able to show a chart that shows $100 million after five years of growth, right? That's what I want to be able to show. And I didn't see that path for this product. That being said, I'm not saying it can't be a good business. It absolutely can. But to take funding is a whole different level of commitment. And I want to make sure it's the right one. And in every turn, I've had better opportunities to take funding or to build something like Refresh was a good example. Yep. What's your team size? Just you right now working on this? No, uh, well, again, I'm like corner of my desk at best, and we have two others. All right. So three. Jack and, our base. and you guys just split the revenue each month? <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. You know, the revenue is there. It's not It's not huge. We got salaries or they have salaries. I don't. And we uh, we go from there again. Uh, your mark. Your gross margin, though, on this product must be pretty high, right? There are there are there significant server expenses. You know, we ran until last November on a single server for 13 years, even when we got 300 million emails in one day. Yeah. And this that's because this was always my test bed for testing server architectures and building fast software. And we finally rolled it out to several different servers for redundancy and and this and that. So no, server costs are ridiculously low. There's there's no capital cost. Well, so what is your gross margin? I mean, do you break 90%, 95%? Well, like I said, servers, I think, are 400 bucks a month. Okay, on about 13, 14 grand of total revenue between ads and SaaS. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. And no, what else? Some salaries and you're done. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, you came out of nowhere. Your website's growing so fast. How'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator. I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator. And the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin. And guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. 
So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45 day money back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. Yep, that's impressive. Great. Paul, this is good stuff, man. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Um, I would have, I don't know if it's a business book. I'd have to go with Cialdini's Influence. Yep. Um, that book really changed how I thought. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, <clears throat> studying, there's a, there's a bunch of them I really uh, like to, I'm not sure I'm studying them. Amy Arrett over at um, Madison Reed is, is I, I pitched her once as a VC and she turned me down. So I followed her ever since. And now I'm excited what she's doing actually in a hair coloring business. <laughs> so I find, I find that fascinating. Brad Cam over at Talkable really turned that business around. So I'm not sure I'm studying anybody, but I like to, I like to follow a few folks. That's great. Um, and guys, if you, uh, you said that you said Talkable was the name mm -hmm. of that company. Yeah. Great. Number, uh, number three, what's your favorite online tool like HostGator? Um, you know, I, I would have to say Linode. That's where I host everything. And they're, it's uh, incredibly simple. I'm, I'm much more of a technology guy than a desktop tool guy. And, uh, I use them all the time. I love what they're doing. Number four, Paul, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, definitely eight and a half. I can't, <laughs> cannot, I'm worthless without, without that. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Married and married, no kids, no kiddos. All right. And how old are you, Paul? 50. All right. Last question. Take us back 30 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Um, well, how to talk to girls, I think would have to be the, <laughs> the real answer. I was really good at computers, but uh, that was, that was the end of the story. There you guys have it from Paul founder of Mailinator. He wishes he knew how to talk to girls better <laughs> back 30 years ago. In the meantime, he's had so many exits refreshed to LinkedIn, raised $10 million there. Everybody made money. Also sold his company prior to that to bills.com, which did very well. He's had many exits now building Mailinator almost by accident as a side project. Over 300 folks, really QA teams, paying him on average 35 bucks a month for about 10 grand in SaaS revenue. Add on top of that another three or four grand in advertising revenue. Turns a problem, but again, he's focused on testing right now in the middle of building something interesting. Team up three, Paul. Team up, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. If you enjoyed Paul today, go back and listen to Catherine yesterday. With just 5,000 left in her bank, she launched a company called The Muse. Now they get 50 million visits annually and over 600 companies pay her but it'll surprise you what they're paying for. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners, but boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it. Okay. Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right? When you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator, go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.